Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we finally get a look under the hood of the PlayStation 5. Is it eternal doom when you cross some animals? And are game stores essential in a viral pandemic? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Game Source. Thank you for listening to all of our great programs. And I do want to give a big shout out to those folks in the Taiwan area for listening to our show We are in the top three for entertainment news programs there on Apple Podcasts in Taiwan. So just wanted to give a big shout out to you, every one of those people that listen to us over there and wherever you listen to us on no matter what podcast or radio outlet. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my good friend. He's our own cyber demon from Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Also, his great podcast, Topicocalypse, and of course, his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson, who's under lockdown as ordered by the governor of California. I feel trapped, man. I'm about to uh, start hacking holes in the plumbing and try to climb out through the sewage system. Be a real uh, Shawshank Redemption up in here, if you know what I mean. There you go. That's what cyber demons do, I guess, on their off time when they're trapped inside their own house. But we are going to be talking a lot of great things, including where the cyber demons come from. And that is the world of Doom, because Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons both come out this weekend to game. Well, you can't say game shelves because you got to go to the store for that. So let's just say it's coming out on digital at this point in time this weekend. In fact, Doom Eternal is already out, and Animal Crossing New Horizons coming out on Friday as you hear this. So we're going to go ahead and talk about both those games coming up. Also as well, speaking of games, a major controversy has already started in regards to what businesses are essential and which ones are not in staying open in this viral pandemic. And one of the major corporations for gaming, GameStop, is very adamant on its position whether or not it's essential for staying open. So we discuss that issue coming up here in a bit as well. We also talk, as we promised, 
our picks for the best of Ridley Scott. And we've got a lot more coming up on today's program as well. But first, my friend, it is the PlayStation 5. They finally showed off their wares. Kind of a little bit understated the way they did it. I mean, obviously, due to the circumstances out there, there wasn't any big you know, pomp and circumstances. But we got to look underneath the hood of the PlayStation 5 this week with some specs that they were talking about and, and you know how it relates to the Xbox One X. And I don't want to go too deep into the numbers and, you know, which one is this, which one is that, because I'm probably going to bore a lot of people as far as how many teraflops and all that that are going out. I mean, I will just say this. When you look at the processing speed of the actual units compared Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 from what was announced, Xbox One Series X does look like it's a little bit faster, where it's 10 teraflops to 12 teraflops for the Xbox One Series X. PlayStation 5 has 10 teraflops in its GPU. Video output, it looks like it's a little bit better video support for the Xbox Series X as well. Data transfer speed, it looks like it's a little bit faster on the PlayStation 5 side. They both have about the same amount of RAM. The hard drive space looks a little bit more like it's gonna be leaning towards the Xbox Series X because it's a full one terabyte hard drive as opposed to just short of that for the PlayStation 5. When you match it up side by side, and I sent you you know, the list of what it looks like, the comparison chart and all that, that's provided out there by IGN. So if anybody wants to go ahead and check it out, what are the specs side by side between the two, what's been announced for PlayStation 5 and what's been announced for Xbox Series X, they've got a, they've got a great comparison chart right there for them. So I will give them for you. So uh, I will give them props for that. But I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, from what you're seeing on these charts. Like I said, looks like the processing speed for overall is a little bit faster on the Xbox Series X. How it translates information and the, how fast it does, I think it's going to lean a little bit towards the PlayStation 5 side. But I'm thinking at this point, without any knowledge of how much this is going to cost each system, it looks on the surface like the PlayStation 5 is going to cost a little bit less than the Xbox Series X. How much so? I'm not quite sure, but overall, when you talk about top-end speed, the Xbox Series X looks like it's a little bit ahead of what the PS5 is doing. I know the Xbox, yeah, it is faster, but as far as like price point goes, like I don't know if they would come in I don't know if the Xbox is as far as its reputation can go can afford to say that they are more expensive than the PlayStation. You know, I'm just looking I'm looking it off by what the numbers say. Right. And there's a little bit give and take on each. Each one has a specialty that it can do better when it comes yeah. to the processor and the internal workings of it. But overall, I think what it looks like is let's say I'm just gonna throw out a number there. This is just speculation on my part. I'm saying like a Xbox Series X may be a 499. A PlayStation 5 might be a 449 or maybe even as low as a 399. And if that's the difference, people aren't willing to look at speed if it's like over $50. Well, yeah, but I mean, look at the if it's $50, that's one thing. But if you're talking a whole hundred dollars, I don't think Microsoft would come in at a price point that has that much of a difference between the two. It's just it's not smart, especially since they're really on top of things with this next gen. You know, they've been transparent. They've been open to the fans. They've received feedback. They've talked to people. They're still doing all the backwards compatibility stuff. 
and they're really like they're coming in hot you know they're 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 doing this the right way and i don't think that they would risk that that good feedback they have by having this hundred dollar difference between them and the playstation and then on the playstation side can playstation really i mean apparently playstation does no wrong but like if you look at how the last couple of consoles have released none of them have done what they promised to do on launch right so we see all these numbers we see like the the frame rates the loading speeds and yada yada but it it seldom ever is capable of doing those things right at at launch you know we look back the playstation 3 had a disastrous launch uh, playstation 4 is a little bit smoother but it was not um I mean, neither the Xbox One or PS4 was was great at launch, but it's but like PlayStation 4 gained that early lead with all that advertising and the way it promoted mm-hmm. itself, and they did everything right early on that Xbox mm-hmm. didn't. I agree with you. There cannot be more than a fifty dollars spread between the two units. Yeah. If mm-hmm. there is more, then it's trouble for whatever one is cost that much higher. Yeah. And I do want to mention as well that you talked about backwards compatibility. The Xbox One Series X can not only handle the Xbox One, can not only handle the Xbox 360, but it will also be backwards compatible all the way down to Xbox. Xbox, yeah. Which to you and I is great, Mm -hmm. but it's always been that feature that Xbox has touted, which hasn't always gone over as well as I thought or many other pundits have thought it would. Well, look at it this way, though. I mean, Xbox has before... You're right. You're right, right? They had the patches, right? They... you. Hey, congratulations, now your games are backwards compatible, and they come onto stage and they say, you can download this patch, yada, yada. Then every time you put in a game into that tray, you'd spend 30 minutes waiting for it to download the patch unless you play it. But here's the thing. This is coming off the line, right? And it has, and the disc reader is supposed to be able to read all the discs, so you shouldn't have to worry about, or if you're buying the, the one that takes discs, you you won't, my assumption is that you won't have to worry about them installing software for each game. It should pop in and just play it. You know, especially with the first two gen consoles, right? Xbox, Xbox 360, you didn't actually need to install anything to play. So that would be my assumption. From what I understand with PlayStation 5 is that you can't do backwards compatibility all the way, right? It only goes up. Just PlayStation PlayStation 4. 4, yeah. So that is something that, you know, if they're going to, that would be something worth like not paying the same amount of money for because Xbox is obviously depending on how it works, going to be superior in that category. But again, I think a big thing we're not talking about is it really narrows down or, you know, bubbles down to launch titles, right? You know, at least in my opinion, I think that those Xbox really stumbled out of the gate last time and barely had anything worth playing except uh, Forza and Rise on a Rome, which lost its luster after like a month of being out. But uh yeah, that was something that PlayStation did do right last time. What did, I think Uncharted launched with PS4, right? Is some kind of was it Nathan Drake collection? Yeah, that's something like that. It came yeah. close to. I will just say this: that it's just you're right. It does come down to what are the launch titles are, but it also comes down to, you know, what system is supported well early on. I think really establishes it because we see that there's not going to be a system where two years down the line, Xbox will make up that gains and pass the PlayStation 5 or vice versa because of the fact that once a unit gets an early lead, it's very hard for the other to make up. Now, PlayStation 3 was able to finally around the world, but they were able never to go ahead and really establish themselves as well in North America. 
in the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3. Where they became even was the fact that PlayStation 3 did so well in Europe and Asia as opposed to what Xbox 360 was doing. Xbox 360 was more popular here in the United States during that generation. With the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, it's been PlayStation 4 pretty much all around the world has dominated uh, you know, this generation with only the Nintendo Switch now approaching any type of the success comparative to the PlayStation 4. Xbox One really just didn't get, you know, any love or enough love, comparatively speaking, to what PlayStation 4 did. I mean, let's put the, the you know, right out there on the, you know, they won this this generation. But Xbox One, like you said, is going to do start doing it right with the Xbox One X because they've, like you, you know, you did say it. They've they've been very transparent. They they're, you know, as far as features and processing speed and all that's said and done. You would lean if you're just looking at it on paper and you said, hey, if both costs the same, which one would you lean towards? It looks like on paper you would lean towards the Xbox One Series X. That's wrong paper. And I'll tell you what right now, it's just something that I'm more interested in as a gamer because of the fact of the backwards compatibility and all that because you and I are interested in that feature. Maybe not everyone is, but at least we are interested in that feature and, and also with the Xbox One Series X and the PlayStation 5, people have to remember, these game developers are not going to maximize the capabilities of the system until three, four years down the line. That's when you actually see the best games of this generation. And that's what like, I'm curious with Halo Infinite launching with the console. Like, Is that going to uh, mean we're going to get some kinks in the chain there? Or what's uh, you know what's going on with that? But... I think a lot of developers wait to see like what kind of kinks there are before they start pushing out like their high dollar property games, right? Because they want it to go out and be, be flawless. They don't want it to be associated with, you know, something that is proving to be catastrophic. So that's why I'm I'm hoping Xbox will come out of the gate really smooth. I know Halo Infinite is going to launch with the console and they said they're not going to be able to meet that November date, but they are on slate to uh, meet the holidays of 2020 and i'm i haven't heard anything about playstation's release date yet i'm assuming it'd be around the same time but we uh, we you know we're just finding out things about the uh, ps5 today so i'm hopeful but uh you know and i'll probably end up getting both of them at some point but i just i don't know man like i don't i it's there's not enough detail yet on either i imagine uh, as we get closer to to E3 or the dates E3 would be we'll start hearing more because i got really got to start marketing for that holiday season I agree with you. And there's also the fact that people are going to have less money in their pockets at this point in time during the holiday season. So if they are going to commit, they're going to commit to only one and they've got to choose from there. And I know for a fact, for me, if they're both priced comparatively the same, I'm leaning towards Xbox Series X initially just because of the fact that it has all that backwards compatibility and I can just trade in my Xbox One and boom, I can still play my games without a hitch. Plus also the original Xbox games I have and the Xbox 360 games I have as well. PlayStation, not quite as functional, because so, so it makes it harder for me to go ahead and be convinced that I need to buy it right away. Now, mind you, when there's enough games that are on it that will appeal to me, I will go ahead and make the effort to go get a PlayStation 5. But right now, if I'm leaning and it's within the same price range general price range it's got to be within 50 dollars of each other if it's not 
then you're right. All bets are off on exactly who might win out on this next console generation. What are your thoughts out there on the PlayStation 5 specs that were announced this week? Were you impressed with them? Were you kind of disappointed that for the most part, not the entirety of it, but for the most part, the Xbox One X seems to have the upper hand underneath the hood. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, there's not only one, but two great games just in time for self-isolation to go ahead and come out this weekend to digital. So I don't, I don't want anybody running to the stores. You know, Got to practice that social distancing and all that. I'm asking, my friend, there's not one, but two great games that are out there. Are you excited for it? Are you going to be playing both Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons? Share me your thoughts on each a little bit, and we'll go into more detail here in a sec. Okay, so I am going. I really do want to play Animal Crossing Horizons. It is not something I'm going to be rushing. I neither of these games are things I'm going to be rushing out to play right now, especially since you know I'm kind of on a budget, right? My finances, everyone's finances right now are kind of insecure. You know, nothing's nothing's for sure. The only thing I know I am going to shell money out on is the Final Fantasy VII remake when it comes out. But uh, so here are my thoughts. I do want to play Animal Crossing Horizon. Looks really great. These games have always been fun. You know, they're kind of the a great game for casual gamers. Whereas Doom, on the other hand, is something that is I don't know. I didn't really like the last one that much. It was fun and it had a cool soundtrack, but it's not something that like it doesn't have enough mythology in the universe to really keep pulling me into it time and time again. So I'm like I. I'm, I will play it eventually, but you know, if you look at Bethesda's history with Games Pass, their stuff always hits Games Pass. You know, within three or four months of it being out. So I'm waiting. I'm going to wait and see if it hits that first. But have you heard about GameStop canceling their release? I'm sure we'll get to that. But they canceled the midnight releases of that, and Amazon's been sending out emails saying, "Hey, if you order these games, you might not get the physical copies on release day." And there's a lot of uh, you know things going on as far as like shipping is concerned with these so i think with these two titles especially we're going to see a big rise in digital sales what are your thoughts though i agree with you wholeheartedly and you know amazon is talked about shipping only needed things through their service and not taking anything more into the warehouses so anybody ordering animal crossing new horizons and doom eternal let's say a week or two from now could suffer some real you know back delays because of it if they want the hard copy and you mentioned Final Fantasy VII real quick. I know there's something you wanted to talk about when it comes to the hard copies for that. Wasn't that correct? Yeah, so they Square had sent out an email, not an email, but like a more a message and an email to people who subscribe to their newsletter. But they're saying that you are, uh, you know, it is slated to come out on release day, which I think is April 10th, if I remember correctly. It's still slated to come out. People are still going to get to play it. But it's not, uh, if you got a physical copy there's a high probability that you're not going to be able to play it on release day. Like it could be five to six days after even going on two weeks before you get a physical copy of it because 
you know, like we saw on the news or if you've been paying attention, Amazon has stopped taking shipments from from where people's warehouses. So if it's not medical supplies, they're no longer taking things into their warehouse. So they sent out a a note saying that, hey, they're you know, from Square, they're working with people, they're working with retailers, Target, Best Buy, Walmarts, uh, Amazon again. But there's not there's a high probability that there will be some sort of delay in the shipping of the physical copies of the game. So, again, that might be another one that really boosts physical sales, especially since there are so many people projected to to buy this game and so many people who are excited about it. So I, for one, know that I will eventually buy it physically, but I will probably download it on the day it comes out just because I want to play it and I don't want to wait a month till everyone's done playing it before I get my hands on it. And there could be an issue with that because the fact that the internet now is at points and level of activity that it has never seen. So a lot of internet carriers, in fact, countries are asking to people to slow down on the internet usage. In fact, Europe, the European Union told Netflix, hey, cut the HD viewing because that's stressing the, the levels of the internet. So even downloading it could be an issue by that point in time when Final Fantasy VII comes out. So that's something that people have to consider as well. What will the continual stress and the rise in activity for online usage bring in for not only gaming, but for anything we want to do in relations to the Internet? Because we've, we've seen the reports. In fact, we've reported it on the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source sites about the levels of activity in gaming and everything else Internet-related going up and going up sharply because the fact everybody's home now everybody's home they have to go ahead and do something so online becomes even more important just us recording this show enhances that as well because the fact that we are using the internet when we record this i use the internet when i upload the shows etc etc so it is something people have to consider and be more patient with so those downloads could become quite a bit longer than even what they're used to, which I know in this generation is still nerve-wracking at times. But please, when you're downloading Doom Eternal, Animal Crossing New Horizons, or when Final Fantasy VII comes out, please be patient. I'm sure PlayStation and Xbox are working very diligently or trying to go ahead and, and create those situations to make it easier, but also working with the various internet online options to try and make it feasible for everybody to go ahead and use the internet. But you got to be impressed, man. Metacritic scores are extremely strong for both. They're two of the highest rated games of the year overall. Doom Eternal is around 88 as a general score. Looks like close to even 90. And Animal Crossing is getting an average of 91 on Metacritic. So there's just universal praise for each. What does that say for both as far as for success? I know it's on a limited basis because... Of course, you can't get hard copies or hard copies are going to be you know, a little bit hard to get. What does it mean when you have not only one but two quality games and such a, a game-starved year? I mean, we've talked to even before this crisis started for us here in the States. It was something that it was probably a dearth of games because there wasn't really much to offer for us in the world of video games. No, I mean, this is a big deal. We've been fairly dry for a while now. And, you know, we have doom and animal crossing horizon coming out and there could be well there's supposed to be like a couple a couple more games cyberpunk and uh ghost of tsushima possibly the last of us part two before the launch of the next gen consoles so it's a yeah it's definitely needed and it's also like this is a good 
time to have a video game ship because people are home and needing something to do. So this is a this is a good time for them. I just I hope that they're not uh, disappointing in any way. But yeah, it's this is this is a big deal. Like we haven't had any any big games come out for a really long time. We've been continuing to buy the old ones. We've been playing stuff on Games Pass that had come out, you know, last year or the year before that. But yeah, there really hasn't been anything good to play. So this is kind of the beginning of uh, of gaming season for 2020. And, you know, the sad thing is it's going to be barely a season at all, right? Until the holidays roll around. That's true. And I'm just looking forward to more quality games. And like you said, with the advent of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One Series X coming out later this year, well, if that's their schedule, and that's something I want to ask you that we didn't talk about in our comparison of the PlayStation 5 to Xbox One X, is there a chance that both or one could be delayed on their release just because of what's going on with this pandemic crisis? Well, I mean, that's what Microsoft was talking about today because, of course, since Sony said something, Microsoft had to, but they said while the Xbox might not release in November as originally planned, it is scheduled to be released within the holiday season. Now, whether or not that means there's going to be plenty of units to ship that's a whole other question so somebody will get a console during the holidays but uh, how many people are going to get them that's a really unknown number right now and you know we're kind of hoping you know it sounds right now like things in china are going back to normal but we're kind of hoping you know around the holidays we'll be more or less back to normal too so but it's all kind of up in the air right now it is all up in the air and you're right there's just no 100% guess on exactly, uh, you know, what is going to go on later this year as far as what games will still be released on schedule, what systems will still be released on schedule because of the uncertainty that's going on with the pandemic crisis. But for those that are in isolation right now, for those that are staying home and following the social distancing and staying more at home, at least there's now not one but two great games that are coming out this weekend. In fact, they're already out as we speak in Animal Kingdom, New Horizons, and also Doom Eternal that have come out that are really highly rated that people do need to give a chance. You're going to see the streaming of these two games coming up all over the place. So give it a look if you're interested in, and you can always buy a digital, both of them right now on the Nintendo Switch for Animal Crossing New Horizons and Doom Eternal on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. But one last question I wanted to ask you before we head to the break, my friend, and that is this. With Animal Crossing, you know, just a brief background of your history with Animal Crossing and why this game appeals to you so much over, let's say, the traditional shooter that you know, I know you and I both grew up with in the first place. Because as you know, my history with Doom goes all the way back to me working within the movie industry when we used to play it at the special effects house that I used to work at. So for me, Doom is very sentimental. But for you, Animal Crossing, I know is a lot more. Yeah, it's just one of those franchises that's always like been fun to play, right? I never go into these games having high expectations because you're kind of doing the same things over and over again. But it's kind of a cool... You know, in its in its own way, it's like it's like a, a Minecraft, but it's not a Minecraft. You know, it's one of those games that you can go and you kind of do your own thing, build your own story, and you could sit there and play play for hours and hours just doing mindless things. You know, and that was something that was always fun to me, especially 
when it came to like the Nintendo Switch, right? That I could sit down after work, just turn on Animal Crossing and I could play it. You know, it goes a lot farther back than that. But the Wii is where I have the most like memories of Animal Crossing because they're you know, there are quite a few releases on that console. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I love the game. It's not like my favorite, but it's definitely something I do have fond memories of. And it's something I am kind of excited to dive back into. But tell me about Doom. Well, like I said, with Doom, with me, it's sentimental. I mean, uh, when we used to hook up these, at the time, very expensive silicon graphics machines, these computers, and have them all, you know, didn't have the internet really at that point in time. All we had to do was connect them on a LAN. So we would have people in several different rooms connecting on a LAN and we would go ahead and deathmatch way. And that's something I want to ask you. The multiplayer for Doom Eternal is going to have some asynchronous type multiplayer type one versus two. One player is the cyber demon and the other players are, are battling against them and then also battling other monsters within the game as well. But the deathmatch scenario, which has been so synonymous with the Doom series is not as of this point in the game. I don't think it's going to be added on. Bethesda's pretty much said that I don't. they don't think it's going to be added on unless there's a severe customer demand for it. So I want to hear your thoughts. Not having Deathmatch in Doom is kind of a misnomer and kind of a faux pas that I, I feel is kind of a little bit, little bit disappointing, no matter how great the game is being scored overall. I'm curious why, but I also feel like they would probably substitute that with a different game type which they're kind of i'm sure banking on highly so i I don't know anything about that yet but i mean i'm it's something i'm going to look into but a lot of people like for me personally like i like the single player in doom it's not once i finish the the uh you know playing doom is like running a marathon right once you get finished with it you're like you're out of breath you're sweaty you're just like okay I need something that's far less mentally stimulating. I need to play something mindless for a minute because you're you're always on on guard with Doom, right? Who's coming out of what corner? What kind of gun do I need to use against them? That being said, I would love to play like a horde mode on Doom, but I don't think multiplayer would be something I'd be too keen to jump into. So I'm curious, maybe they cut it just because the n- number of people playing it wasn't very high or or whatever it might have been. But, you know, I would love to have on Doom a co-op mode. See, that would be cool. I agree with you. I think a co-op mode would be cool. It'd be something different. And for something that fast-paced and exciting would be kind of neat to see as I'm trying to go ahead and chainsaw one cyber demon, you're flying through the air trying to go ahead and do some damage to another. So that would be kind of cool to see. But I'm hoping that Doom Eternal, with all the great reviews that it has, with all the great advanced pub and the way that it looks, because I've seen you know a little bit of the gameplay and I'm very impressed by it, it's kept the fast-paced action that I know and love from Doom. It's kept the gore and the guts that, unfortunately, a lot of people know from Doom as well. But you know what? It is Doom, and it's also Animal Crossing New Horizons. They're both out. They're both highly reviewed. Right now, if you should have the time right now on your hands, I suggest you go ahead and give these two games, whichever one you want, or both, a chance this weekend. What are your thoughts out there on Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Video game box art, the stories behind the covers, in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. 
Don't forget to check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. One more half hour to go right here on the PCC Multiverse. Continuing on the video game feel, my friend, I wanted to go ahead and talk to you about this. In fact, we both had it on our minds you know, when we were DMing back and forth about what we're going to talk about for tonight's show. And that is GameStop. In the world of a pandemic or the viral pandemic, you know, a lot of these governors in various states are talking about lockdowns of major proportions. I mean, you're going through it right now with what the California governor is doing. And, and to much of an extent, our governor here in Nevada has done the same thing as well to pretty much the same extent. I wanted to go ahead and talk to you about what GameStop is thinking at this point in time because you know, it's inferred quite strongly that only essential stores and essential businesses stay open during this period. And GameStop sent memos out to his employees and stating that it is an essential business for this time, like for serving the gaming needs and the gaming public out there. I know we also have a great affinity for one of our good friends, Douglas Hoibu, who is a small business owner of a tremendous game store here in the Las Vegas area. In fact, two game stores here in Las Vegas area in Retro City Games. He is also suffering through this crisis as well as a small business owner. And I have a lot of respect and mad props for him. And he's trying to understand this essential business part as well. He's staying open in limited hours, but he's doing it in a smarter fashion. He's doing drive-through business, drive up. You go ahead. You want to go ahead and buy something. You go ahead and coordinate it via DMs, via phone calls. He coordinates it with you. He comes out. He brings the product out. Like the, the very little transactions, there are very little handling and things of that nature. You want to go ahead and trade something in similar that effect as well. I think he's handling the best way he can because he's trying to do what he can to make sure his business stays afloat and also providing mail service and delivery service to gamers out there, not only in the city, not only in the state, but across the country. He, you can go ahead and order stuff through him through that as well, and he'll send it to you. So he's trying to handle it more responsible, and I give him props for that. I know GameStop has really tried to set itself up as an essential business at this point in time. So the question goes out to you, my friend. Are game stores, video game stores, as much as we gamers love to say, and I have all respect in the world for gamers for thinking that, are game stores essential in a pandemic crisis like this? They're not essential, but I think they're needed, if that makes sense. Because a lot of us are sitting at home, you know, I respect what Doug's trying to do with the whole, you know, limiting five people in the store at a time, if you know what you want, you can do a little like drive through type thing. And I like, I really respect that. I think that game stores are needed. I don't, I wouldn't label them as essential. GameStop is really fighting, you know, if GameStop closes down, they're done. You know, they're going to be out of business here before this whole virus thing is, is handled. So I can see why they're fighting so hard, but here's the thing. GameStop's counting on all these people flooding into their business to buy things to play during this quarantine. But there's not a lot of people going in there anyways, because despite the fact that, you know, they have good used game sales, you can still find a lot of these games a lot cheaper other places. So, you know, the big question here is, is it going to be this whole like stink that they're putting up? Is it going to be worth it in the end? You know, and are they actually going to get customers? Is it really going to affect anything if 
if they stay open because they're they were open before the coronavirus thing hit and they were still losing money. So what you know, what is the point of all of this? I agree with you, my friend. Doug is trying to go ahead and do what he can to stay afloat and try and take care of his customers. And I have mad respect for him as well on that. Like you said, he's limiting his store to five customers at a time. He's making sure as much sanitizer and, you know, he's using gloves. He's trying to keep everything sanitized as much as possible, wiping down surfaces hourly as needed. And he's doing everything he can to try and, and accommodate customers' wishes. Plus, like I said, he's coordinating a lot of orders through the phone, through the DMs, doing pickup service, sending stuff out via the mail, sending stuff out for orders, not only in the city, but also through, through the country. So, you know, he's doing his can as an owner to try and survive in this time. GameStop doesn't seem to be on the same page. GameStop doesn't have any type of, you know, real forethought into what they're doing. And they're not accommodating customers in that same fashion. And if they are, they're doing it on a case-by-case basis. But there's no real memo that says, hey, in this time of need, we're going to be going ahead and limiting you know, our practice in a way, but we're still open for business. I don't think game stores are essential. I'm going to say it right now. And I know people are going to get mad at me, and I'm not, not trying to go ahead and, and cause an uproar. But I, you know, as far as what you're saying, video games are needed as an escape. I won't disagree with you there, but with the digital services that are out there that they're, you know, we talked about with Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New, uh, New Horizons, it's, you know, it's a, a most, a lot of these games are very accessible now at this point to just download from your home. Even with five people, even with, you know, just two people, you put yourself at risk of transmitting the disease and, and things of that nature. So it's hard for people to go ahead and, say this is essential when there's so many other things out there like gas, food, the basics that we need that that are essential. You know, obviously the, the people that are working so hard in the medical industry right now, I mean, those are essential things right now. I cannot say video game stores or other similar, you know, escapes or leisures are still something that you can deem essential. Now, is it something that you can try and limit yourself to? Yes. And I know Doug at Retro City Games is trying every bit as hard to do that and uh, try and survive at the same time. And we, like I said, we give him all the props in the world for that. But I cannot say that game stores are essential at this point in time. And GameStop is not doing anything in order to go ahead and, and benefit their customers by the way they're handling this. Right. Again, I mean, I don't think game stores are essential, but I think they're, you know, they're, kind of needed but you know with GameStop there's not really any reason for them to be open right they're just finding themselves in the midst of scandal after scandal after scandal within you know the the gaming industry and it's like why do you want to stay open I get with Doug right Doug's a small business owner this his livelihood is here right and he's like he's part of the community like he really people love retro city games people love Doug people love going in there chatting games like it's kind of it's its own community, whereas GameStop is just there's no reason for them to be open. There's no because they've got GameStop.com. If they promote yeah, that more mm-hmm. and take care of that, and it would alleviate at least a tiny bit of their issues. Yeah, yeah, but they're not part of the community, right? People don't really like them that much. You know, they go in there to buy the used game sales, but that's really all they got going for them right now. So, I mean. I'm having a hard time seeing why GameStop should remain open. And it's weird because I, from what I understand, law enforcement is going in there trying to like get them to shut down. They're handing out flyers. But 
how long until that's going to fly? You know, is that going, are they going to finally start enforcing that? Hey, you guys got to shut your doors. I don't know, especially here in California, you know, it's like, what does that mean? And, you know, Target, you can still go into Targets and Walmarts and buy video games. They're still getting their shipments when they do get them. But, you know, I don't see any reason for GameStop to stay open. But I don't want people going to a Target or Walmart just to go ahead and pick up a game and put themselves at risk. You know, it it doesn't seem to me that that's worth it. I mean, if you're going there to pick up food and then just do me turtles right there. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I totally agree with that. But, you know, people, you know, especially with like the (laughs) the impulse. No people. Yeah. You go into the grocery stores and people aren't doing any like calculated buying of anything. They're buying whatever they can get their hands on. So and they're not practicing social distancing. No, I learned that very well this week. Yeah, no, they're not. And judging by that behavior, telling someone they can't go to Target to buy a video game is not going to do anything because the first thing they're going to do is go to target to buy a video game so it's just it's i don't know i don't think you can stop it but you know what do i know again if i was in doug's shoes i'd be doing the same thing trying to go ahead and whatever i can to help my customers out trying to go ahead and create any business i can because that is my livelihood so i again he's in a tough position and i understand what he you know he'd be going through at this point in time so you got to do what you got to do. And he's trying to minimize the risk as best he can. At least he's making an effort. At least he's making the effort to go ahead and protect his consumers and also protect himself, his wife, Nicole, and also their young child. He's trying to do what he can to minimize their risks while still trying to survive with his business going forward because one of his locations is not remaining open. It's not not being allowed to be open. So he is just doing this from one business to try and keep both businesses open going forward. So I can't say I blame him and I would do the same thing. And I appreciate and laud his efforts for trying to you know minimize those risks. But when it comes to what GameStop is doing, they're just being brazen and they just don't seem to give a damn. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, there's no reason for them to stay open. They barely, I mean, if you look at, you go into their store, they barely even sell video games, right? They're mostly just a collectible store these days with a couple walls of video games. So it's not, there's no reason for them to stay open. They're just trying to fight the, you know, the sinking of their ship. But I wonder, like, Reggie Phil Ames, I know he's, like, on their board now. I wonder what he has to say about all this. And what kind of weight he carries. That's that's the thing. Going forward, are we going to start seeing his influence in there? Because it comes at a very dire time already for GameStop. And we've talked about their practices on recent episodes. Last year, we also talked about their financial losses, which are huge and would probably put out many other businesses if it wasn't the leading video game store in North America and beyond. So to me, it's a point where GameStop has to make, I think, a new focus on exactly what they're doing for their customers. Do they actually have the best interests of their customers and also their employees who sit there and put themselves at risk because they've got such a wide open policy at this point comparative to other stores? And calling themselves essential, I think is, I just think it's mistaken. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to try and say this, you know, you know, haphazardly. But saying your game store is essential is not. And I'm going to repeat this. And again, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for it. It's not essential. Is it something that's needed as a you know way to escape? I agree with you. I have a tendency to agree with you. But if you're handling it the way Doug is at Retro City Games, I think that's preferred. But if you're handling the way the GameStop is. I think that's a mistake that could affect 
many people, both customers and employees, very badly in the near future. What are your thoughts out there on the way GameStop is handling the current pandemic crisis? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it's a hot button issue. Are video game stores essential in this pandemic crisis? We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanica Media, Game Source, and also PopCultureCosmos on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Hey, Adam Thomas. Yes, Thomas Mariani. You know how there are podcasts about bad movies? Yeah. And also podcasts about good movies? Yeah. Well, what if a podcast could cover both? What? Listen to Double Edge Double Bill, where a random selected yin and yang of a double feature is picked and then picked apart. Now, who came up with this wacky idea? Adam, we did. That's our show. I'm learning something new every day. Listen to us on the ESO Network and wherever podcasts are available. Well, my friend, it's been a very spirited conversation we've had for the past few minutes. I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And like I said, everybody's worried right now, a lot of stuff going on, but... Before we head on out, my friend, I wanted to go ahead and talk about something a little bit more cheery. And that was what we talked about on Monday, and that is the best of Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is a director who has a list of outstanding movies, one after another, after another, after another. So without getting into too much detail, I know you have a list of five that you want to go ahead and talk about and his influence with a lot of movies that you have. In fact, I know you've mentioned quite a few of them over the course of the years that we've been doing this. So I want you to give everybody out there an idea of some of the movies that have really moved you that have been directed by Ridley Scott. So I'm going to start at the bottom here. Black Hawk Down is at my my number five, right? Black Hawk Down, amazing movie, all-star cast. It is gut-wrenching. Every time I watch it, I, I feel like a piece of my heartbreak because like these guys really – he did a great job of like capturing – what I imagine was probably like the most messed up military situation of all time, a situation that nobody wanted to be in and they were just kind of doing their jobs and they had no choice. And it's kind of it, it just, it, it's heartbreaking to watch. Like it's, it really is. And it's a great film. Very well done. Blade Runner. Good movie. It's hard for me to like recommend it to younger fans just because, you know, even for my generation, like it was a hard watch, right? Like it was, I know you grew up with it and my dad grew up with it and they really like those films. But from the standpoint of someone who enjoys film as a just the the whole genre and the whole, you know, art of making film it is a really good film. And I really like it. It asks a lot of uh, deep philosophical questions, right, about what is consciousness? Uh, who are we? Just because we have the right to play God doesn't mean we should or not the right. Just because we can play God doesn't mean we have the right to kind of your Michael Crichton type scenarios. Uh, I got uh, Gladiators, my next one. You know, we talked about that one a little bit on the last episode. And Gladiator is a class. It's it's a great film. Soundtrack is very solid. You kind of like it. It does, you know, even with Joaquin Phoenix, Russell Crowe, like a lot of the acting, it just takes your breath away. Then I got Aliens here. You know, again, another one we talked about last week, Aliens really good film it's something that i can always go back to like i feel very uh comfortable when i'm sitting there watching aliens because it does you know like i said it reminds me of like being a kid watching the movie on my tv or watching with my friends going over to to people's birthday parties and things we'll do sleepovers and just sit there watching aliens while eating popcorn my number one pick here is kingdom of heaven this is my all-time favorite ridley scott film you know i have 
I have watched every version of this movie that has been released. The Roadshow version, the the uncut version, the director's cut version, the regular version. I love everything about this film. I love the theology behind it. I love the philosophy behind it. I love the whole concept of like, you know, what is the kingdom of heaven? We don't know. But the kingdom of heaven, like on earth, as far as it's concerned, is a kingdom of conscience or it is nothing at all. So it's really this movie about telling people, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're human, right? As long as you treat your fellow human with respect and kindness and things like that. And it has a lot of really great lessons. Orlando Bloom, fantastic in this movie. It is one that I can watch over and over and over again. So now I want to know your list. That's a good list, my friend. That's an excellent list. Uh, obviously, when it comes from Ridley Scott, who you and I have very much admired, whether he's in the director's chair or whether he's producing, he's just been a part of so many great movies. And of course, we've talked on and on and on and on and on about Blade Runner 2049, which he produced, which we love so much. Not the best movie of 2017. And now that you have some time, everyone, you need to check it out, please, because it's very good. Very, very, very good. I'll go ahead now with some of the stuff that I think is very appealing that he was director with. And some of this is going to bleed over into what you also talked about with as well. Number five, though, is going in the Wayback Machine, something that is often overlooked as a thriller. And that is Black Rain. In the midst of the Michael Douglas as a leading man box office draw era, Black Rain as a big-time Japanese-style thriller. These two New York City cops trying to deal with the Yakuza. Very spine-tingling adventure as far as seeing it from that aspect. And it was it was really good. I was really impressed by it and just had this mood and atmosphere that I think only Ridley Scott can go ahead and create. And I just appreciated the whole atmosphere that the movie was presented throughout so i give black rain a, a thumbs up i think it was something that's underrated that one of those movies like we were talking about the other day that we need to <laughs> dust off the shelf black rain is something i think a lot of people should go ahead and give a chance to if they want to you know check out michael douglas at the height of his box office drawing power because he had romancing the stone a few years earlier but this was right in that area where he was doing basic instinct people know from that from him and Sharon Stone right in that time frame where he was doing as a leading man some really big movies and Black Rain was one of them number four is Aliens and Aliens wait or, wait just can you clarify for me Black Rain is not the sequel to Purple Rain which starred Prince correct <laughs> <laughs> no it's not no, it's not quite purple rain was directed by ridley scott then that might be something worth remembering you know yeah well this is quite different i rest assured and as a thriller it's it's a very good movie that it's obviously been forgotten by many people but yeah if you give it a chance check it out it's, it's really good number four is aliens for many of the reasons that you described i think it is better and i'm sorry to say that to people out there than the original alien movie I think this is more appealing to me. I agree. It, it just it has a lot more going on. You know, Alien was a horror movie. Aliens was more of an action movie. And for people who, you know, like the science fiction genre, I almost feel like uh, action movies are kind of more thrilling. I think I couldn't have described it better myself. Plus the dynamic of some of the characters 
I think Aliens gives a chance for more people to go ahead and get some shine in the spotlight. And, you know, obviously we talked about Bill Paxton. Do the Bill Paxton for me, the late Bill Paxton, to honor him. We're screwed, man. We're screwed. Pretty much. Like that. See, just to see his performance. You know, it is at the same time while you're being scared, while you're seeing the action, you're also laughing as well for some really funny bits. And it is more like an action movie. And I think that is more appealing. And you're right. Action movies are catering more to a science fiction genre than a horror movie is, in my opinion. Although we've talked about the Dead Space series before being really good. So, yes, it can cater also to the science fiction genre. But action movies and science fiction really go together. And Aliens was something that I think combines the horror, the action, and the science fiction really well done by Ridley Scott. Black Hawk Down is number three for me. Yes, all-star cast, very tense, very engaging. Uh, it deals with something that not a lot of people were aware of here as far as what the crisis was and the, the actual plot of it and what it was based off of. So something that was very interesting, entertaining, but also very educational all at the same time to understand what was going on for these soldiers at that point in time. You know, like I said, yeah, it's a very intense movie, and I think it captured what those moments might have been like better than, you know, most war movies. So this is this is kind of my comparison, right? Saving Private Ryan was like an opera of an army film, right? Is this big old set piece, great film, great acting, but it like it it was a drama. Black Hawk Down was just the narrative structure just got thrown out the window. You don't have your like your rising action climax and falling action you just had action you just had this is survival okay there's no structure to this and i think because of that it was much more gripping than your normal you know wartime film would be number two we talked about it on the monday show gladiator just a beautiful movie to look at great performances all around and joaquin phoenix stole the show and i think really for me that was the point where i said hey, this dude can act because he was really, really good. He chewed up the scenery in each and every scene and not going off in a way that could have been said he was mocking fun at Shakespeare or anything like that. He was acting in a way that I think was really compelling and you really did not want to like him at all, like his character. And that's what really makes a good villain is that you really feel anger and disdain for the individual that you're watching up there on screen. He did a great job. And I mean, that's how you know you played a good character, right? Like people hate you, right? People, you go out in public and people are like, oh, look at that guy. He put a knife in Russell Crowe and then made him fight him. Like that's how you know you did a good job of playing that part. And you know, that I think before Gladiator, the only thing I'd seen Joaquin Phoenix in was Signs. So I mean, that was a much needed career boost for him because he's always done like art parts since then. And they've kind of look where it's got him, right? He got won all those awards with Joker. So I think it's kind of a much needed step on his career ladder. It vexes me. I feel vexed. But yes, just a truly outstanding performance. It was overall, it was a great movie. Yes, Joaquin Phoenix was outstanding. Russell Crowe is very solid in the film as well. And of course, it deserved the best picture, in my opinion. Although a lot of people still say it didn't, I think it did. I think it was a beautiful movie and it's something that is one of Ridley Scott's best, in my opinion. But number one is something you said didn't appeal to you as much early on as a younger audience member. 
I understand the Generation Z, the Generation whatever may not appeal to this movie as much, but from Rutger Hauer's performance, from a mood, from a setting, from a sci-fi genre standpoint, Blade Runner, you can't get much better. For the top 25 films on my list, it's at the top of the list. So, of course, it's got to be number one. Blade Runner, it's just, yes, Blade Runner 2049 is close for me, but Blade Runner, the original, whatever cut you can get out of it, it's just, it really is just a truly incredible and inspiration film for me. It has been since I first saw it in the 80s, and I cannot say enough great things about Blade Runner. It is my number one movie, I think, all time. So I got to say it's number one on my list for Ridley Scott. There's not really anyone I can talk Blade Runner with except you and my dad. So do you think that the whole thing in Inception, right, with where they have the top, the top spinning, you know, what's real and what's not. Do you think that any of that was mined from Blade Runner? Well, I'm sure it was. And they kept talking about the horse, right? And they're like, what's real and what's not? Lately, I've been thinking a lot about old movies, and I've been thinking about, like, that theme feels very familiar to me. Where did I see that from? It all depends on which cut you see, because the unicorn's not in every cut. So you got to see the right cut in order to get the concept of it. The the final cut, right? Yeah. But I have seen several cuts of the film, and depending on when I saw it, I could say, yeah, I have a slightly different opinion of it. The final cut is the one I've seen the most of, I go back to it every now and then. It's just such a beautiful film. Now, the story between Sean Young and Harrison Ford isn't the greatest. That's what you could say as far as there's any flaws. But Rutger Hauer's performance is incredible because he has something he believes in. And you feel for him as a villain. And the whole movie, the ambiance, the special effects of that time still stands up today in many ways. It's just such a great movie and just an outstanding experience for me. And that's why I have it number one. It's a good list, man. Blade Runner is definitely, it, it stands out. Let, let's just both agree that Ridley Scott, like he has done things with movies that people would just be absolutely terrified of doing and it has paid off his entire career. And then you look at movie studios now, everything's so cookie cutter, you know, and that's what made me kind of sad about the Disney purchase of Fox, right? Because uh, uh, Scott Free Productions was kind of a powerhouse for Fox and now we probably won't see any more Ridley Scott movies ever again. And that would be a shame if that's the case, because while he's still able to go ahead and direct, please, you got to go ahead and let him direct. I know he's got some stuff still listed on the plate, including Gladiator 2 still showing up on IMDb, which I know you're not thrilled about. Neither am I. But then again, anytime you can get Ridley Scott behind the director's chair, it's never a bad thing. Well, you know, it can be. He's got some sneakers, too, on his list, but... There are more great films on this list than ones that people look down on. And that's why I think a lot of people truly appreciate what he's done for the movie genre and all that because of the fact he's so skilled and so artful in what everything he does. Yet still, in so many cases, it's come across to a wide and and most appreciative audience. What are your thoughts out there on Ridley Scott? What are your best films that you like from him? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. My friend, it's been a great episode, but before we head on out, I know you heard the news that Black Widow, of course, the movie has been delayed and postponed till further notice on, on a date for its arrival to theaters, which you know, frustrates me to no end. But I, you know, understanding the whole pandemic going on, that's what happens. But is Black an- Widow a sequel to Black Rain? Um, just so the audiences are clear on that. 
Yeah. Which, which is the sequel to Purple Rain. Oh, oh my it's gosh. a trilogy. It's a trilogy. Uh, you guys heard it here first. Uh, uh, anyways. So, my friend, I wanted to ask you this before we head on out. Are you interested on Monday on you and I going into a deep dive uh, during the circumstances? Let's say you are Kevin Feige or I am Kevin Feige. Maybe we can get even some friends if they want to go ahead and jump in and talk about if they were Kevin Feige, how would they reshape the Marvel Cinematic Universe? How does that sound? Sounds fun. Uh, this is uh, something I definitely could have some thoughts on. Sounds good. I could definitely have some thoughts on it myself. And you will listen to that as an audience out there on our Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.